are dismissed at this time. You can slip on out now. And guests that are with us, we really are glad that you're here with us this morning, and I hope you've already been made to feel at home. Uh, Take your Bibles, please, and open them to Exodus chapter 3. We'll get there in just a minute. I'm kind of fired up this morning. We, we talk about how um, our purpose, our mission at Liberty is to glorify God by making disciples here in Dalhart and around the world. And there's just a lot of ways in which that's happening here uh, in our church here lately. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the evidences of true religion is we take care of the widow and orphan, and we see that being lived out uh, brilliantly in the Shoemaker family right now. I know they've got a bunch of family with them here this morning, so it's awesome to have uh, extended Shoemaker family with us this morning. Uh, we talk about the, the uh, glorifying God by extending his kingdom around the world. And so um, as you, Liberty, have shown your faithfulness to God and God's faithfulness to you by pledging monies to be given to our missions program, we're able to take a new missionary family on. Um, I know that there was even one, one family who just said, hey, I, I want to make sure, I will personally give the funds to make sure that that happens. And so that kind of heartbeat is not isolated here at Liberty. There are a number of families like that who, that's how you operate. So I want to I commend you for that. I feel this morning like we've had a little bit of an opportunity to kick the devil in the teeth. Now, he doesn't like that, though. He doesn't like it when God's people are serious about taking God's mission into the world. And so on one hand, like we rejoice in what God is doing through us, and we also need to anticipate that Satan does not like this, and he will fight. He will find ways to seek to resist what God's doing here in the world and through our church. And so, brothers and sisters, let's, let's remain faithful. Let's remain committed. Um, I, uh, I'm just excited about what God's doing uh, here uh, through um, our church, stuff going on. Uh, in the physical plant, you've noticed a new sign out by the road. There's a new irrigation system. Where you've seen the little green flags, don't, don't run over the green flags, please. There, there's irrigation sprinkler heads right there. So uh, Mr. Gary Frost and I would be particularly upset if those get broken. So uh, avoid the green flags. But there's, just, there's a lot going on here right now. Uh, our Vacation Bible School with uh, JC heading that up. Um, I, I'm, I'm as excited about that as ever. And so um, God's doing good things here, and it's fun to be along for the ride. And we're going to look at a story this morning um, in the book of Exodus where we see God doing great things and people get to go along for the ride. And just so you know, that's how God works. That's, that's how God works. He uses knucklehead, unfaithful, average to below average people like you and me to get his exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think kind of work done. And so this morning, in just a moment, we're going to begin reading in Exodus chapter 3, verse 16. But before, but before we get there, I'm going to ask, I've got, a, uh, I've got a, an illustration that's going to help us understand the sermon here uh, together this morning. And so Abraham McMorris, I've asked him to come and be my helper here this morning. So Abraham, come on up here real quick, and here's what I want you to do. But I want you to take these and just move them right over here uh, and, and set them on this side of the stage, okay? Just take both, one in each hand, and bring them... Bring them over here. Okay, okay, uh, okay. Now, not working so well, is it? No, it's not, it's not working so well. Um, uh, Abraham, I, I am going to make sure that those heavyweights get moved from this side of the podium to that side of the podium. I'm going to do it, and you're going to help me do it, okay? So I want you to move those weights from, that, from this side to that side, okay? Okay, here we go. Here we go. All right, here we go. 
Very good. All right, we're going to set them down. Okay, great. We got it done. Okay, give me five and go sit down. We're going we're gonna to come back to that a few times this morning. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 16, actually I'm going to back up to verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now, verse 16 starts where we're going to focus this morning. God tells Moses, go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up of, out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they, the elders, will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, and you'll say to him... The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please, let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to our God. And you can almost see Yahweh, Jehovah God, kind of lean over and you know, across the back of his hand say to, um, Abraham, or to Moses, but I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. You shall plunder the Egyptians. Now, just so you know, everything we've read so far is God talking. God's talking to Moses. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Moses answered, but... And three times in Moses' reply, he's going to go, but, but, but. But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. They will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And Moses said, a staff. God said, throw it to the ground. So he threw it to the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. Amen. That's what you do with snakes. If you don't have a gun, you run from them. If you have a gun, there's another option in play. He ran from it. Obviously, I mean, here's a guy who's spent 40 years in the wilderness. He knows snakes. He knows poisonous snakes from non-poisonous snakes. We're, we're getting the idea that he's running from it because it's a life-threatening kind of snake. Or he, or he has the same constitution that Lydia Perkins and I have where if it's a snake, we're just running. We'll find out later. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. 
that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. God said, if they'll not believe you or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. He's done making excuses. He's just like, I don't want to do it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him, which is the idea. It doesn't mean that Aaron's going to worship Moses, but Moses is God's representative. Aaron's going to look to Moses for the word of God. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So here we read about a conversation between two people, but a conversation between the God, the great I am, the God of Israel, and Moses. And to summarize the conversation, God says, I will send you. And Moses says, who am I? Right? In verse uh, 13. And God says, I will be with you. And Moses says, well, who do I say sent me? And God says, I am is sending you. And then Moses says, but they won't believe me or listen. And God says, I'll give you these three signs as evidence that I'm the one sending you. And Moses says, but I'm not a good listener. And God says, who made your mouth? And Moses finally just says, please send someone else. And God says, okay, I'm going to send someone else, but they're going with you. I'm still sending you. If you and I were watching Moses go through all this, how might we have counseled him? If Moses would have come to us and said, you're not going to believe this. God has asked me, I was taking care of my sheep, and this bush was on fire, but it wasn't being burned. I still don't know how to explain that. And, uh, and a voice came out of it, and it told me that I'm supposed to go and deliver the people of Israel from their bondage in Egypt. Uh, and I just, I just don't think I can do it. Right? The, 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 way, the way that we would have counseled Moses, unfortunately, would probably have been very wrong. And the reason that I know that we would have probably counseled him wrong is because I listen to how we counsel each other, and I listen to how 
we counsel ourselves so often. The, the advice is out there and on the radio and on all sorts of social media platforms and in all sorts of self-help books and in all sorts of Christian environments. The, the advice that we would typically give to someone like Moses is, man, don't worry, you got this. You got this. You, you, uh, you, Moses, you need, to just, you need to believe in yourself. You've got low self-esteem. Come on, man. You, like, you've got great education, so of course you can do this. You know, you... Um, you've been brought up to both understand Israelite culture and Egyptian culture. So, like, no one's better suited to do this than you. You've got this. And the way that we would have counseled Moses is very different than the way that God counsels Moses because at no point does God say to Moses, Moses, you've got this. What is God's counsel to Moses? I've got this. I'm getting way ahead of myself. This is what we're going to look at together here this morning. The main point this morning is this. We are called, we are called, like Moses, we're called to live lives of obedient faith. We're called to live lives of obedient faith. Of faith, but faith that works, right? James chapter 1, if you say you have faith but have not works, your faith is dead. We're called to live lives of obedient faith. So first of all, let's look here in this passage at God's call to Abraham. As God's talking to Abraham, he's telling Abraham, Abraham, I want you to move these incredibly heavy weights from one place to another. And Moses is realizing this, I tried that once and it didn't work. Remember Abraham's first try? He, like, it was obvious he wasn't going to be able to do that. And do you remember Moses' first try to deliver the people of Israel from the Egyptian oppression? Right? And he sees the Egyptian taskmaster beating one of his fellow Israelites, and he takes matters into his own hands. Right? And he thinks he's going to be a modern-day, well, no, Robin Hood wasn't invented yet. So he was before Robin Hood. Right? He was the precursor to Robin Hood. He was going to be the Robin Hood that no one knew about yet. And he was going to deliver the people from the hand of the oppressor, and that failed miserably. And so as God is telling Moses now, move the, 35 pound, the, the 70 pounds total, Move that, move, it, move that, do that thing. Moses is like, I tried that once, it didn't work. You got the wrong guy. God comes to Moses and he says to him, and he gives these sorts of instructions. If you see in verse 16 of chapter 3, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I've observed you and what has been done to you. And so God gives Moses instructions to go and gather the elders and then to take the elders to the, king, uh, to the, to the Pharaoh there in Egypt. And God is asking him to do something um, that is truly challenging on many, many levels. That It would be challenging for any human in any point in, her, in human history to do these sorts of things, to come out of total obscurity, right? He's been in the wilderness for 40 years. So when God says, go to the elders of, of Israel, Moses doesn't necessarily even know who they were. If they were young men when Moses went into the desert, maybe those guys are still around. But there may be elders that are elders of Israel that Moses has never met before. And so there's probably 40 years later the story of, remember the guy that was born and then they put him in the bulrushes and the, you know, Pharaoh's daughter finds him in the, in the, in the river and he grows up, you know, luck, lucky rascal, he grows up in the you know, in the beautiful palace, and, and there's like this story about the guy, and then he killed an Egyptian taskmaster, and then he ran away, and we haven't seen him for, for 40 years, right? So there's some people who still have that in their memory, and then that guy shows up one day. 
And God's command to him is that when you walk in to, to uh, Israel, there in, well, into Egypt, and find the Israelites, that the leadership of Israel, they're going to know who you are, and they're going to trust that I've sent you. They're going to believe what you tell me, and then all of you are supposed to go and to talk to Pharaoh. And, and here, Moses, with his 40 years ago failure, still in his mind is thinking, I don't... N- not only am I incapable of doing that, but I don't want to. Get somebody else. I don't want to do it. God, if you're going to do that awesome thing anyway, find someone else to do it. And, and so, so here is God's, God's call. I'm, I'm summarizing, obviously, a lot of conversation. And by the way, in my Bible, I highlighted... Um, in the passage that we looked at this morning, chapter 3, verse 16 through verse 17 of chapter 4, um, I highlighted all of where God is talking, and the majority of it is God talking. Um, the, the overwhelming majority of these verses, God is, God is telling Moses what he wants of Moses. And so here God is calling Moses, and what does Moses do time after time after time after time? In fact, the only, the only responses that we have from Moses are Moses making excuses, the excuses that Moses makes. Moses makes excuses. And we looked at last week where Moses was asking the question, who am I? And God answers the question. Moses asks the question, God, who am I? And you remember what God's answer to Moses was? God says to Moses, I am who I am. That's what you need to know about you. You need to know who I am, Moses. So that was his first excuse. And then, and then as we process through this passage this morning, we see that Moses asks the question. He, he says, well, well, I mean, how am I, who am I going to say that is, is this, will they even believe that I'm the one or, or that you, you have sent me? Uh, chapter 4, verse 1, behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. And we kind of know what this is like in our world, right? Like if someone says, like, God spoke to me, or like I had a vision, or I'm a prophet from God, and God speaks to me directly, and I need to tell you, like, we, we get a little bit uncomfortable with that person, right? And sometimes we're like, yeah, they're a cult leader, or they're just a crazy person. But that makes us, language like that makes us nervous, and Moses goes, you know what, they're not going to believe me. How, how will they, um, how, how will I give evidence that, um, that you're the one who has, has sent me? And that they won't listen to me when I tell them. Um, look, in, uh, look in verse 10 of chapter 4. But Moses said, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent e- either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Now, Moses has had an incredible education, uh, you know, growing up there in Egypt. And, and some scholars would say that this is Moses kind of being appropriately humble and appropriately modest. But it appears as though because of the way God responds to him, that God sees what Moses is doing as excuse-making, and God just calls him out and says, who, who made your mouth, man? Like, you're saying you don't have a good mouth, you don't have good words, you don't have the ability to do this, but I've already asked you to do this thing, so who made your mouth, right? It's like a, you know, like a mom saying, I brought you into this world, I can take you out, right? I, mean, there's, there's, I think there's that idea behind what God is saying. Who makes, and listen, when uh, this is very much a side note, but um, when we talk about challenges that we face in life and joys that we face in, li- we face in life, realize this, God, God is the sovereign ruler and, and the uh, sovereign 
orchestrator of everything in your life, both the good things and the things that we call bad. Just because we call something bad doesn't mean that God looks at the thing as bad. Look at what God takes responsibility for. In verse 11, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute? Mute is the inability to talk. Or deaf? Deaf is the inability to hear. Or seeing, right? It's a good thing. Or blind, the inability to see. And God himself is saying, I'm the one who brings the hardships. I'm the one who brings the joys. I'm, I'm the one in charge of these things. My wife and I were talking um, even recently about uh, someone who had uh, said some things about God, and a lot of it was very good and very true. And then at the end they said, but God has nothing to do with this thing, which just isn't, just isn't true. Like God, God, ne- God is never hands off on anything. If he is, then you have a God who's not omnipotent and all-powerful. You, you have a God that can't be trusted. If a God is hands-off, then, then now it's like, well, then who is? Am I in charge or is the devil in charge? Like, what's going on here if God's not in complete control of everything? That was a side note, but I, I couldn't pass up verse 11. So, and then in verse 13, he said, and then I, like, you, you just feel Moses being at the end of his excuse-making, Right? And, and you've heard this with your kids before or you've done this before with, uh, when you were a kid or with your spouse or whatever. And like finally you realize, I don't have any more good excuses. I just don't want to do the thing. I'm not interested. Don't. Get some, there's you know, millions of other people, God. Pick somebody else. Is your plan really going to go undone without me being a part of it? Moses kind of throws the last, Lord, please send someone else. And so we see as God has given this command, this call to Moses, Moses' response is, uh, I'm not going to be good at it. I don't think they believe me if I show up. Um, I don't want to do it. And how does God, how does God counsel Moses? And brothers and sisters, this is incredibly important for us to understand for our own lives and for us to understand as we speak into the lives of other people. Um, Because you and I are constantly faced with challenges in life that we are aware that we are incapable to do and to fulfill. Constantly. We're just constantly aware, whether it's our health or our finances, our marriages, Uh, relationships in life, expectations that go unfulfilled. Like there's just so many things in our life that we face and we go, "I, I I I don't have the ability to fix this thing, to make this work. God has called me into this marriage. God has called me into this job. God has called me into this relationship. God has called me into this physical uh uh, challenge. God has called me into this financial difficulty. Like I'm here and I'm aware that I don't have the capacity, the ability to do it. And for someone to tell me that I just need to believe in myself actually adds condemnation more than, because when I look inward, I'm more aware than ever that I don't have the capacity and the ability to do it. God, God does something so gracious and so kind to Moses throughout And every time Moses throws up an excuse, God points Moses to God. 
From the very beginning, in fact, God tells Moses, I'm doing this thing and I want you to come and be a part of, of what I'm doing. If you look back in verse 10, uh, verse 8. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to do a good, to a good and broad land. God is talking here, and God is saying, I've come down to do this thing. I have come down to do this thing. I'm going to be the one to deliver my people from the hand of the Egyptians. And then he begins to call Moses into that work. He calls Moses to, to join him in this capacity, in this work. And throughout, throughout um, these passages, God is saying, I'm going to do this thing. I will bring the people out of the land of Egypt. I will bring you, I will convince um, the elders of what, um, uh, of what I've sent you to do. And I will uh, convince Pharaoh of what I've sent you to do. And I will convince the people of what I've sent you to do. And I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to deliver the people out of um, and so throughout this, these passages, we see God making I will statements. So he's, he's identified himself as the I am, but he's also identifying himself as I will. I will do this thing. I have the strength. I have the power. I have the ability to do this thing. And brothers and sisters, let's not forget that God always has the ability to do things completely without human help and without human involvement. God's will will be done. He's He's he has invited us to, and Will says this so well so often when he talks about missions, he's inviting us to be part of what he's doing in the world. We get to be in on what God is doing. So when we get to give a bunch of money to missionaries and we get to go on missions trips and we get to do those sorts of things, like God's getting his work done. We just get to go along for the adventure. So God gives Moses these I will statements. It, it, one, that's one of the promises of his power. God also gives Moses some signs of power that God um, that God is with him. Now these these um, signs that God gives Moses, uh, like in verse uh, starting in verse uh, two, uh, he has throws the staff on the ground, the, the, his hand in his cloak, and the water from the Nile, that sort of thing. Um, what what God is doing here is more than just giving Moses some flashy tricks to show Pharaoh. You know, like, hey, watch this, Pharaoh, I can. You know, like, he's not giving him silly little magic tricks, to parlor tricks to try to, well, you know, Pharaoh's like, wow, I never saw anybody do that sort of thing before. There's so much more to what Moses, what God is giving Moses to do in these three signs. So the first sign was what? God tells Moses to throw his staff down, and the staff turns into what? A serpent, right? And it says that Moses runs away. He jumps back from the serpent. And one, one, of the, one of the meanest, nastiest, most venomous, most venomous, most, yeah, that's right, most venomous snakes in, in, the, in history and in the, that this culture would have been aware of would have been like a big hooded king cobra, right? We don't know for sure what snake it was. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what snake it was. But do you remember, we talked about this in one of the first weeks when we started working through the book of Exodus. Do you remember what, Pharaoh had as uh, an emblem on the very top of his, the, the hooded crown that he would wear. What was it? A snake, a serpent, right? And, th and throughout the Bible, right, Genesis chapter 3 talks about how that there would come one who would crush the head of the serpent. And now here, Pharaoh is literally 
got a serpent's head on his own head. Um, and Pharaoh certainly represents evil in the lives of the people of Israel. And so when, when God gives Moses this sign um, of, of reaching out and grabbing a poisonous serpent by the tail and it becoming a staff, what God, is, what God is doing there is he's showing Moses, who will then show Pharaoh, we're not afraid of snakes. It's not just that my stick became a snake and then became a stick again. That's amazing. But there's a sign involved in this, right? He could have, he could have made the stick turn into a rabbit and then pick, grab the rabbit and turn it back into a stick, right? And like, who cares? Like, rabbit out of a hat kind of a thing. It's, it's not coincidental that the stick becomes a serpent. And God tells Moses, reach out and grab the serpent by the tail, which I'm not a snake handler, but like, I don't think you're supposed to grab it by the tail, right? Because then the head can strike you, right? But like, we're not afraid of snakes. Hey, Pharaoh, this snake is representative. You even have it on your head. We're not, we're not, the God who made you sent me to tell you to let us go. We're not afraid of you. See what's happening there? That's cool. It's not just a, it's not just a cool trick. Secondly, um, stick your hand in your cloak and pull it out. And when, when Moses pulls it out, I'm sure, just like there was a moment of panic where he jumped and ran away from, the, from his staff that had just become a serpent, I'm sure there is a moment of absolute terror and panic when Moses pulls his hand out and it's leprous and Moses knows exactly what that is. Like leprosy was the most feared, disgusting, uh, irreversible death sentence you could get in this culture at this time. In fact, other ancient uh, uh, manuscripts tell us that, that the Egyptians had worked hard to try to find a cure and to eradicate leprosy, right? I mean, they had, they had their top scientists, they had their top, you know, uh, medical personnel working on figuring out a way to solve this thing. They didn't, it was, it was, it, it was as uh, unsightly and, and um, uh, unnerving then as it is now. And it was a certain death sentence. And so when Moses pulls his hand out of uh, out of his cloak, not only does he see that there is this um, advanced, this is stage four kind of cancer, um, this is stage four leprosy on his hand, um, uh, and then puts it back in, and it's, and it's showing that God has complete control over the most feared disease of the day, and the thing that even the greatest minds in Egypt can't figure out how to make this thing go away, and it would absolutely be a death sentence, God is saying, look, that doesn't threaten me I'm the one who gives life. I'm the one who takes life. This God has absolute power over the most feared disease of the day. And then the third sign, and Moses doesn't get to see this sign. This last sign Moses has to take by faith. God is, uh, Moses tells God, no, God tells Moses to go and dip uh, a container of water from the Nile and then to bring it and pour it out, and that water would become blood. At this time in history, which is actually still true to this day, I've actually had the privilege of going to Egypt and being in these locations where the pyramids are and seeing the Nile River. The Nile, um, during its flood stage, brings down just enormous amounts of minerals and earth, and it makes this area of Egypt a kind of a fertile crescent, if you will. Like it's, it, makes, it makes Egypt the powerhouse that Egypt is during this day. You remember, I mean, this whole area... Um, is kind of desert wilderness wasteland, but the Nile River gives Egypt the prominence, the, the, uh, the finances, the capacity to be a world-dominating power at this time because they have the Nile River. It, it, was, it was the status symbol of Egypt. The Nile was worshipped. 
because of the life that it brought into Egypt. And so when Moses takes water out of the Nile and pours it out and it becomes blood, God is showing Pharaoh the thing that you're trusting in for your sustenance, the thing that, you, that has made you a great nation, I'm in complete control over that thing as well. I can turn it to blood if I want to. I can keep it as water if I want to. I'm the God who says we're not afraid of snakes. There's no disease that can harm us. And there, we're, um, I'm the one who is in complete control even of your econo- economic power, Pharaoh. So these aren't just three cool tricks that like, hey, Pharaoh, watch this. Don't mess with us. I can make my stick into a snake. Look, my hand, it's all white. Look, I can make water into blood. It's not, these aren't just little tricks. These are signs that are communicating to Pharaoh. There's a God who's more powerful than you. And the things that you think you're good at, he's better. God promises his power by telling Moses constantly, I will do this thing. I'm giving you some signs that will show you my power. And then lastly, it's as though God knows just how weak and foolish and, and uh, yeah, weak is the right word, how weak Moses is, and he gives Moses a friend. Moses says, send somebody else, and God, do he, always does, he always does things that surprise us. God actually does it. Like he, God leans in on that one. And when Moses says, send someone else, God says, I will send someone else with you. Your brother is coming. Your brother Aaron is coming. And I'm going to send the two of you. And I'm going to be with both of your mouths. And I'm going to take care of you. And, and you know, I'll make the point here again in just a minute. But I mean, how gracious of God when he gives us a friend who strengthens us to be obedient. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? So, so we see here that, that God calls Moses. And then Moses makes a bunch of excuses And then God brings Moses around and he says, listen, but what I want you to do is I want you to trust in me. I've asked you to do something that is too hard for you. That's the point. It is too hard for you. There's no believe in yourself. Pick yourself up by the bootstraps. Work harder. You you got this. You're better than this kind of foolish talk. You aren't stronger than this. You're not better than this. Don't believe in yourself. That's a recipe for disaster. Don't look inward. That only discourages. Look to, look to God. Look to me, God is telling him. And now, now, I want us to walk through. You might be like, man, we're done already? Hang on, I'm not, no, I'm not done already. I want us to walk through these three points again, uh, making application for ourselves. See, first of all, God does call us. And I think I've got, yeah, I've got three points in it. So we're going to talk about how God calls us, how we often make excuses, and how God promises power to us. So I'm basically using the same outline here. God, God calls us, and God calls us to obey. God often calls us to do things like take 70 pounds and move them from point A to point B, or walk in and convince the elders that you need to go to Pharaoh and do this thing. God calls us to a lot of different things, and maybe not things that aren't quite as dramatic, but certainly things that feel equally impossible to us. Do you ever hear a phrase like, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and think, yeah, I don't, I, that's too hard. I, like, I fail every single day at that. Love, love others more than you love yourselves? Well, there's something that's impossible. Um, uh, you know, give your time and your talent and your treasure for God. You know, pursue, seek, uh, uh, pursue uh, earnestly seek me. 
Um, uh, uh, now I can't think of, I had a list of things written on a different uh, piece of paper that I was working on here today. Now I can't think of all the commands that God, that God called. Don't lust, don't lie, honor your father and mother. Ten commandments, that's a good place to go, right? And you go through the Ten Commandments and you're like, no, 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 no. And like some of you have accurately said of yourself, and it is true of me as well. We've all broken all Ten Commandments all the time. So God says obey, and we go around failing all the time. God's called us to, to obey Him, to, be, to live lives of obedience. And, and that's impossible for us. And so, so what does God, well, we'll get to that in a second. And as God, as God calls us to obey, He's calling us to live a life of, uh, what did I say earlier, obedient faithfulness. We make excuses, don't we? Well, who am I? Or I don't have the ability. Or I, I just don't want to. But God wants faith-filled obedience. And brothers and sisters, as God works in our lives, as you, when you turn from your sin and put faith in Christ as your Savior, God works on you and in you from the inside out to want what He wants and to even have the ability to do it. Number three, and here's where we're going to take a few moments. God promises power. God, just like he gave Moses these I will statements, Moses, I, I will deliver the people of Israel from the hand of the Egyptians, and I want you to join me in this. And here's what God wanted from Moses. God just wanted Moses to move toward him in obedience. Move toward me and let's do this thing together. But instead, Moses was saying, no, 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 no I, I, I don't speak well. They're not going to believe me. Even if I go, um, send someone else. And Moses is moving away from God because he doesn't have faith in God. And what God is calling Moses to is to move toward him in faith and a desire for obedience. God, I don't know how this is going to work. I, 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 the last time I tried this, I failed miserably. I'm here right now because when I did this, I failed. So it's not like Moses is even making excuses that aren't reasonable. His excuses are, I tried, and it didn't work. And so you really need to find someone else. And all God's asking of Moses is, Moses, move toward me in faith. Move toward me with a desire for obedience. I'm going to get this. Th- I, I'm going to get it done. God has given him signs of power, and God gives us his signs of power. And he will give Moses strength to have the right words and to say the right words. And brothers and sisters, God will give us the strength and power to do what he's called us to do. Listen, your, your lack of power doesn't matter because of God's power. See, God, it, it, it's, your weakness is not what determines God's ability. You might say, but I'm like the weakest person you've made, God. But he's God. So, I mean, it's not like, it's not like God has 100 power units and you have minus 50 power units. And so between the two of you, you have 50 power units, right? I think I did the math right. Th- that is not how you and God as partners work. God has 100 power units, yes, You have minus 50 power units. Yes, you join up with God. God and you have 
100 power units. That's, that's gospel math. That's how it works. God is used. Excuse me. God gives commands that he knows we can't accomplish. And then he does the thing he knows we can't accomplish. And then he gives us credit for accomplishing the thing we couldn't accomplish. Yes! I mean, think about, I mean, we we see that nowhere more clearly than on the cross. God says, I only allow perfect righteousness into heaven. And he means it. And so now you all go live perfect, righteous lives. And we go around disobeying the whole time, not honoring our father and mother, not telling the truth, not being pure but being full of lust, not giving life but taking life, not honoring God, not, not keeping the Lord's day holy, not, you know, what, that's just, again, just the Ten Commandments. And so then what does God do? We failed miserably. So what does God do? God sends Jesus to do for us what we were supposed to do, but we failed to do. So Jesus, who is perfectly God and perfectly man, comes. And what does Jesus do? He honors his father and mother. He never lies not one single time. Right, All the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments that are filled throughout the Bible, Jesus Christ comes and he keeps every single one of them perfectly for you, for you. So that when you turn from your sin and put faith in Christ, his righteousness is given to you. So now when I and you stand before God, what does God see? Does he see your record of failure and failure and failure and screw up and screw up and screw up? No, he doesn't. You got the answer right, Miss Janie. I knew you would. No. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So what has God just done? He's given you a command he knew you couldn't obey. He sends Jesus to do the thing for you, and then Jesus gives you his righteousness, and now you're credited with having done it. And what's God going to do with Moses? He's going to take Moses, and he says, go deliver my people. And Moses says, I can't do it. And God's like, yeah, I know. I knew, I've known that all along, but I'm going to do it, and I'm going to use you, and then I'm going to call you the deliverer of my people. It's just another example of how God works. This is how God works. So, brothers and sisters, when God calls us, when God calls us to move the 70 pounds, Abraham, I need you back up here one more time, bud. When God calls us to move the 70 pounds, what you and I do is we stand up here at the 70 pounds and we go, but God, I can't. I don't, like, I don't have the strength. I don't shrug your shoulders, go like this. Yeah, like, like, right? like I, can't, I can't do this thing. And honestly, brothers and sisters, the illustration that we used earlier isn't accurate. The illustration that we used earlier was Abraham and I, and he was carrying some of the weight and I was carrying some of the weight. But here's a much more accurate illustration. I haven't even walked him through this. I want you to get on my back. Get on my back. Just put right piggyback. Okay, this is this is what God wants us to do, brothers and sisters. When God calls us, <clears throat> when God calls us to obey, He just wants us to move toward Him in faith and a willingness to obey. So I'm saying, God, I don't have anything. I'm just going to fall on you. I'm going to cast my cares on you. And here's what God does. I got this, man. This is like this is not really much harder than just carrying the weights without you on my back. I've got you. Just move toward me in faith. I'm going to do this thing. Brothers and sisters, thank you, dude. 
Go, have a seat. Brothers and sisters, that, that, I mean, I'm sure the illustration is not perfect, but it's as close of an illustration as I can think of when God comes to us and says, I'm calling you to do this thing, and we go, I can't do it. And he's like, I know you can't do it. Fall on me. Cast your cares on me. I'm doing a thing. I'm going to move the weights from here to there. Just come on. Come with me. I got this. Let's do it. And then he gets to the end, and he goes, good job, bud. Thanks for helping me move the 70 pounds. It, it, the reason the illustration doesn't work is because it actually is a little bit harder for me with Abraham on my back to move those weights. But for God, it's not. It, it's not hard for him to move the weights. It's not hard for him to have humanity on his back, which is what he did. He was willing to take humanity and say, for every human out there, I am giving my son, go to him, fall on him. He will carry you through what is impossible for you. is no problem for him. Praise God. So the calling that God has given to you to parent, to be in a challenging relationship, to, to struggle with an addiction, to walk a path that looks challenging, to obey in a way that looks different from all the rest of the Christians around you, whatever that, that thing is that is challenging for you right now that God has called you to be in, in right now, and you think, oh, I'm not sure. Friends, it's, it, the answer is not to trust you more. You're, you're the problem. I'm the problem. The answer is to look to the one who has said, I will I am giving you signs of my strength, and I am going to promise you that I will be the one. to. I'll be with your mouth. I'll teach you both what to do. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to do this thing. Brothers and sisters, that's, that's how we're saved. We fall on Christ that way, and that's how we live the Christian life. Every day waking up and thinking, I don't have the strength to do this again today. I don't want to do it again today. Send somebody else. I'm just going to fall on you, and he'll, he'll carry you through. He'll do it. I'd ask you to bow your heads now and close your eyes and ask the music team to come back up and we'll close with a final song. If there's someone here this morning who does not